Hey everyone, welcome to Cryption XYZ, the new podcast covering diverse voices and the most unique stories in the blockchain space. My name is Ved Lahana and I'm a strategy and product analyst at Bitpanda, as well as a Web3 angel investor and most recently an intern at AWS. Every episode will introduce a new guest, tell their stories right from their beginning to their current projects. So join me and listen if you're ready to become a link in the chain. Hey everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Crypto XYZ. My guest is Mytham. He's the founder and CEO of Material 10, which is a game publisher and studio. He's the ex-leader at Olympus DAO's incubator and previous team leader at Nyan Heroes. He comes from a TradFi and big tech background, working within various roles within investment banking, private equity, and even used to be a product manager at Amazon. He brings us a deep insight today into the GameFi sector, being within the industry, for a number of years. As an OG, he is now working on his most recent venture, Material 10, who are vying to be a leader in the blockchain gaming world with their new publishing arm. So, Mytham, um, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, good. Busy, I'm guessing, with all the Material yeah. 10 stuff? Yeah, very busy. Nice, nice. All right, well, we'll jump straight into it. Kind of, obviously we've mentioned Material 10 now a number of times um, it'd be great just to get a very high-level overview um, of the how the operations work and how the publisher studio works and um, what game you're actually building at the moment. Yeah, for sure. First of all, like thank you very much for having me on. Um, and yeah, let me tell you a bit more about what we're building at Material Ten. Um, so you know, we've got as you said two divisions. The first is our game studio arm, um, where we're looking to kind of build that premier game. Uh, in, in terms of blockchain space that pierces into you know the traditional gaming world and, and brings and bridges over those people um and so yeah that's kind of what we're working on at the moment built in unreal engine 5 we've got an entire team of AAA people you know a bunch of people from ea bungie playstation rockstar we've got some people from rockstar um you know building this game and so i think that's what we need at the moment you know people that are at the intersection of blockchain and gaming you know we've seen both right and you need you need both. both. Uh, we've recently also launched uh, our publishing arm, like you said. Um, this is sort of you know if you look at traditional publishers like Ubisoft, uh, EA, um, their, their model of um, you know being that expert within that domain, and then you know providing a their expertise, you know b often financing, um, and c you know a dev ecosystem that games can tap into. Um, and, and you know if you've <laughs> looked at labor markets right now. Dev ecosystem is super duper valuable, um, and so you know that's what we've done so far. Raised a bit of money for that, um, and yeah, we're kind of looking to build all of that out. No, that's um, that's great to hear. And obviously, um, I, I've I've heard about the project a lot from you, and um, seeing that you guys are building something really great. Um, I mean, obviously, given recent developments that you've actually built out the publishing arm very recently. Um, I'd love to hear more about that and your decision as to why you decided to build a publishing arm. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think for the for, for, you know you've seen traditional like in the blockchain space. First of all, we barely have any publishers. Um, the the main one we think about is often like Animoca Brands. They've done a great job of publishing games, incubating games, building them, them themselves. Um, there's a couple other industry players like Cathion, but you know aside from Animoca, Cathion, and Honestly, no one else. Um, there's a lot a room for, for for people to come in into this marketplace, and B also it's something that people genuinely want, right? So there's 
you know, currently in our pipeline, there's literally 10, 20, 30 plus games that are you know fairly credible that require that little edge, right? To to really get them to from from good to great. Um, and so that that's where we want to come in and 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 be that bridge between good to great. Um, whether it's you know a, a blockchain development because uh, you know you you have different players now in the space. You either have you know very good blockchain people that want to build games, and they're missing the game design, game dev, traditional source stuff. And so we can provide stuff there. And there's also the other side of the coin, which is you know great people from you know tier one, uh, AAA studios or you know credible indie studios that are coming in and, and want to build blockchain games, but you know they don't understand simple things like liquidity. Or, listing and, and open economy systems and stuff like that and so on on their own they're good they might succeed but we want to help them make sure that they do succeed. um and and the only way to do that is having the best talent in the space and, and i do think that's what we're doing um so yeah that's the objective you know there's, there's plenty of room for innovation and, and you know we just want to push the industry forward yeah no of course and like you mentioned obviously there is a distinct lack of um blockchain gaming publishers and i think you guys are going to fill that space very well considering um all of the team's experience your uh, experience within gamefi obviously within your various different like olympus dow nyan heroes and how you've seen the space develop because you've obviously been in it for now two three years within gaming i guess so um it's been a, a long i guess a lot of development in the past few years especially in that space um i guess It'd be great to also just hear more about the game. Obviously, I know there are a lot of projects out yeah. there, but um, Material 10 is, for me, like a very exemplary one. So I'd love to hear more about the actual game and some more details about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so we're actually in stealth, but, you know, with this podcast, more than happy to drop some stuff. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, we're going to have our, our kind of website PR announcement and whatnot going out in the next few weeks. Uh, what we're actually building is two parts. The first is a single player mode um this is you know if you think about you know a halo campaign you know something like that a uh, mix of cinematics mix of nice. you know you get to see what sorts of mechanics and whatnot that you have um you know i, I really like because one of the big things is that you know sure you have crypto raiders sure you have sandbox all of those games that are sort of social experiences mm-hmm. um but what's really missing is you know that deep lore that you know a lot of gamers really enjoy i personally do as well and so i think Having that single player mode, getting people interested in, in, in bought into the IP, um, and, and you're familiar with the IP, right, is going to be big for us. Um, and it's also about you know who wants to play a multiplayer game, right? Like if you want to, you, you go head to head, right, and you're just not ready. Uh, I personally am very intimidated by just going head to head against people without training myself up and familiarizing myself with the mechanics. And so yeah, that's what we're building first. We're going to be spending a, a decent amount of time on that. Um, we're kind of hoping to launch in in, in yeah, by the end of 2023, 2022, sorry, um, our single player mode. We'll see how things go. It's also about like, you know, this is sort of behind the scenes, but it's also sort of, sort of about like, how do you bridge the gap between your single player mode and your multiplayer mode? And so it, it kind of all comes down to that. There's also some interesting things you're playing with in terms of single player interoperability. A lot of that, you know, currently interoperability is focused on multiplayer. Um, how do you make sure, you know, assets move across different games? Um, and so, yeah, that's something we're hoping to bring in. And that's going to be something new. In terms of lore, what sort of, how wild it is, you know, I'll give you a bit of a sneak peek into it. But single player mode is this sort of dystopian world. Um, we call it the pre-fall. Um, it's, nice. you know, the, before the fall of humanity, right? Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of touching on some of the, the, the topics you hear about now, right? 
climate change, you know, the end of the world because of climate change. So it's set in, you know, that uh, 2100 period um, as you're coming towards that pre-full uh, pre world. And then our multiplayer mode, which is sort of going to be a new experience, actually, um, that's not necessarily going to be a third-person shooter. It's going to be a bit of both. Uh, our goal is actually to build something so unique that you know traditional gamers can't even experience that in the normal world so they come over and, and they just begrudgingly try it right yeah. um and so what we're building on that side is a um sort of third person shooter meets rts mechanics so seamlessly being able to move from a fortnite sort of fashion to an age of empire sort of fashion and back right um and so that sort of war conquest style gameplay hasn't been tapped into because it's com complex it's hard to do yeah um and so you know, we want to we want to bridge that gap. We want to be able to accomplish that. Um, and so, yeah, post fall is uh, you know we finally get through all of those problems. But you know, stay tuned for how we do it. Yeah, um, no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it kind of obviously is not at all the same, but kind of really like off the cuff really reminds you of like Borderlands, that type of game when you're talking about third person shooter and like a post apocalyptic world or pre apocalyptic, but as in in that kind of stage. Um, it really reminds me of Borderlands, and obviously, uh, I'm a bit yeah. biased, but I love Borderlands. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I absolutely love it too. In terms of, it is somewhat similar to Borderlands, kind of. Uh, in terms of aesthetic, it's more like this is a personal favorite for me. But like Genshin Impact and you know, uh, Zelda, all the Zelda games, you know, yeah. there's lots of high poppy, contrasty colors, mm -hmm. and so we've gone for that very similar like unique worlds that you've never seen before but it's so eye poppy and you know i'm a big you know uh i think the word is like a graphics queen right i think that's the word. <laughs> um and so I, i'm a big graphics queen. i love like really nice aesthetics and, and art, artwork so you know that's that's sort of a feel we're going for as well on that side <laughs> and that's cool that's that's really nice to hear and obviously i look forward to hopefully being part <laughs> of the alpha beta whatever i can whatever i and I guess kind of, I mean, going all the way back, you can maybe give some color. You don't need to go into great depth, but how does it all work and how did it all work in the beginning? Did you just kind of get started? Did you just decide game five is what I want? How, how was your, um, how did Material 10 come about and how does it work? Yeah. I mean, so, I, I mean, I've been lucky to work for quite a few different, you know, highly credible organizations. Um, like you said, I, I kind of was part of that traditional finance investment world before. But the reason why I made that switch over to the operational side is because, you know, finance is always going to be there. Investing is always going to be there. It's still a massive passion of mine. But, you know, I'm young. I want to build stuff first. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess, you know, I spent, I spent some time in big tech. That was fun. But, you know, it really got attracted to the blockchain space. And, and you know, I stepped my, I, I kind of dipped my toes with <laughs> something a little bit more extreme, like Olympus style. Um, yeah. And so... Olympus DAO taught me a lot, right? First of all, is that you know you really get that DeFi sort of understanding and, and you know tokenomics and all of that stuff ties in quite nicely there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know I also got to participate in Nine Heroes, which is honestly one of my favorite games in the blockchain space currently. You know, one of the best, most credible ones out there actually. Um, and so you know, it's also a case of like you know where are the actual end consumers? Um, in, in the blockchain world right now, and the truth is that DeFi it, it, it's great, but you know at the end of the day all you're doing if, if all you're doing is moving around shit coins it's not not it's not got much value right um and so we'll get there one day but i think for now what the real kind of uh, bridging the next 10 million people over is is is, is gaming right it's, it's already a massively growing industry and you know 
there's a lot of things that need to be fixed, especially on the blockchain game side. First of all, you know, lots of scammy, scammy people. Um, and so, you know, there's a very simple solution for that. You know, just don't, don't scam people. <laughs> so that's what we're going to be doing. Um, nice. scamming people. Um, so that was quite easy. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so, you know, and then there's a lot of room for innovation on, you know, law, gameplay, you know, bringing a high quality game. And so, again, that, that's a case of bringing over the top tier talent that, that really want to participate in a growing a new industry. We want to be at like the cutting edge of their own industry. And so, you know, again, I've spent a lot of time hiring and, and developing and cultivating that team. Um, one of the things we do is, you know, most of the people we hire on the gaming side are from the traditional gaming space. What we, we do is we host like the sorts of weekly blockchain talks and whatnot, because at the end of the day, sure, it's great to have this agent perspective and we have, you know, a singular DGEN perspective, but when you bring over artists, developers, designers from, from the traditional gaming space, there's a lot more that they'll, uh, they'll bring out from their experiences that I wouldn't even be able to think of. Yeah. So that's what we want to do, build a team of people that are at the intersection of blockchain and gaming. Um, and, and so, yeah, like, that's kind of the main reason why there's also, you know, tokenomics is just a mess. You know, building sustainable economies is a mess. You know, currently the two models that can work is zero sum economies which is like you know i put ten dollars in you put ten dollars in and when it takes 20 or 18 if, if the platform wants to take two dollars um that's great but not so scalable not so friendly for people that don't have money basically children you know young adults whatever. Yeah. um and so yeah great it works it's very simple but not everyone can participate in that environment and, and that's okay um, but the other other system, which is you know positive sum economy, where you're actually growing total assets within that economy, is much harder to do. You have to design a lot of systems, whilst at the same time abstracting away the complexity of it, which is like you've got a thousand balls in the air just juggling them together. Yeah. Um, but that's what you have to do to, to really push this industry forward. Again, uh, that's where the DeFi and tokenomics stuff kicks in, um, along with that game economics stuff. So yeah, I mean, that, I just live for that economics faster. That's that's all for what. Attracted me, I think. I mean, obviously, you would have had ex extensive experience at Olympus Tower and Heroes with the tokenomic side and the DeFi side, but obviously, it's still being worked out. There's no, there's no exact science that has been cracked for a good exactly. tokenomic structure or any sort of game economy, especially when it comes to. I mean, a lot of the games that we see right now are trading or card card based games that I've seen at least. Mm. Um, a lot of those have really difficult models to work out, and yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting that you guys are obviously taking longer to figure that out because that's very important to not just jump at the easiest money-making scheme and then um, mm -hmm. try and push it out there. Um, and I guess kind of last question on Material 10, what is the best way or how can people get involved with that? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, we, we've got nothing out there yet, you know, very much stealth mode, but we do have a, a, a Twitter page um, and we're going to be launching everything through that. So, uh, you know, if you are interested, please feel free to, to kind of follow us on Twitter. I think it's like material underscore underscore 10. Um, and, you know, we've also got some jobs up. So if, if you're kind of looking for a role in, in, in the blockchain gaming space, then please do either message me or apply directly through that. Um, okay, so I guess I was going to touch on material 10 now. So as a general theme, where do you see GameFi and blockchain gaming going? Do you see it as a large potential future? How do you see the space panning out in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I mean, so, so obviously there's lots and lots of possibilities just as a general kind of, 
macro trend. It looks like there's more and more people getting into gaming. It's you know, fairly recession proof. You know, people usually still spend money um, during these you know, uh, downturns. There's also the fact that you know, open economy systems, i.e., blockchain gaming, usually, if, if designed correctly, and, and you know, it's kind of microtransaction based in that you know, it's usually free to play. Um, and and you know, as we get more and more high quality experiences that are free to play, um, we'll get more and more people getting involved. You know, originally, at the end of the day, you know, I remember my mom telling me when I was younger, you know, don't play too many games, you know, you're just wasting your time, this and that, right? Um, but now it's going to be a whole different ball game because you know you genuinely can earn money in games, and so you know not not only can you earn money in games, it's like you don't have to ask your parents for permission if you want to play play games. Now, now the whole concept of should children be allowed to play blockchain games and interact with tokens is is a whole different story. Um, but the fact is that you know if it's a decentralized wallet, a MetaMask or a Phantom or whatever, who's going to stop that child from playing it, right? Uh, parents obviously you know physically can, but Apart from that, no one, no bank, no PayPal, no nothing, no intermediary. Um, and so the thing is, if blockchain games are done correctly, the next generation, at least, you know, who knows? You know, at the end of the day, there's still a lot of stigma, a lot of stigma around uh, against blockchain gaming at the moment. If that turns, great. Uh, you know, I think we will turn it. It should be fine. But if it doesn't, you know, I still think the next generation of, of, of people, you know, just young Gen Z, you know, 20-year-olds, whatnot, just way more into crypto than, than anyone else. And can you imagine the next generation who grow up playing games? You know, all they're going to do is play, you know, crypto games because you can earn money. Who doesn't earn money? Um, yeah, and 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 so it's also a case of like, you know, there's this whole concept, you know, in, in just investing where you have a bias towards things you hold. So, you know, um, let's say I, I bought Olympus DAO tokens. Uh, before I bought it, wouldn't really, I would be fairly neutral. The second I bought it, I'd be rooting for it. Mm-hmm. And so, People really, really underestimate the sticky factor and something like that. You know, if you want to make players stick, okay, cool. That's your, your that's your avenue, right? Especially when a player is early to a game and they accumulate all these tokens and this and that. I personally would never quit that game because you know it's it, it gives you emotional. You know, believe it or not, money is highly emotional, right? Finance is highly emotional. People just don't understand that. I think you know, money doesn't make you happy. Maybe it does. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so. Yeah, all these things, you know, I think would not only grow gaming, but like just take it to a whole new level, right? To the yeah. point where at some point, in my opinion, almost everyone will be doing it because you have the financial incentive, you have every single incentive in the world to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, why not? Yeah. Um, you know, on the hardware side as well, it's, it's all growing great. You know, uh, barrier to entry is just getting lower and lower. Hardware yeah. costs are getting, not, not during this time period, but generally uh, as a trend, you know, hardware yeah. costs are getting lower. Um, and so, you know, slowly, slowly people can, you know, join these immersive experiences. Unreal Engine 5 is a whole new ballgame. So, you know, it's super, super immersive, super, super, like, financially incentivized and, you know, looks like the whole world is going that way. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. I can't really put it better than that, obviously, in the sense that um, I think blockchain gaming adds incredible value to any end user. Forgetting... Obviously, play to earn is a massive topic, and we'll jump into that. But um, even if you forget that, the type of actual transactions that you're going through, and the type of power um, structures there are, you you own your assets as opposed to if you play FIFA, the card is, of course, you you own it, but you can't send it out on like an open sea and sell it as one of your own assets. Yeah. 
on there, there's no interoperability, the asset cannot be sent anywhere. And in actual fact, it has in-game value and it has no, no other value in, in reality. Um, I think, obviously, if we just take a step back, it's incredible that it allows so much of a world to be opened in, in terms of you are opening up a whole new technology to everyone which is covered by a layer of a game which is covered by like a layer of avatar and building blocks and whatever it might be um you're covering up blockchain which is making it obviously it is a use case but it doesn't really seem like it because you're just playing any other game um yeah. i think as a, also like you're mentioning macro trend a great massive important macro trend is trying to cover um, blockchain uses in just normal, normal like just you uses that people do every day. So, like, um, if say for example, PayPal onboarded crypto as a POS service where you can pay with your card and you're actually paying with ETH, like that's mm. something which, if they can cover from like a UI perspective, from a customer perspective, it's just weaving in blockchain without actually saying this is a blockchain game which i think is really important but coming into what you were saying about earning um and entry costs actually specifically i had two very important questions which might take a while to answer but they're very important what do you think is the line between play to earn and play for fun and do you think there should be a line or do you think games should be separated out and the second question would be um, what do you think about entry costs when it comes to blockchain gaming, especially around NFTs? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> play to earn, play to and earn, all of that stuff is in interesting, right? Just as a baseline. The thing is, right, should, first of all, games be centered around finance, right? That first question. Maybe, you know, at the end of the day, strategy games, you know, Age of Empires, that I grew up on games like that um yeah the, the new one is really good as well um it's all at the end of the day that is exactly what it is resource management is financialization of, of gaming and yeah. so all you're actually doing is giving a player the ability to genuinely have real financial value more than just you know managing a fake economy and so you know and then you know there's the whole battle strategy layer on top of it and, and you know the thing is people don't realize that a lot of these things have a, a, you know a great educational edge as well in that you know i i played tons and tons of um age of vampires right if if you went through that same simulation only two or three hundred four hundred years ago you would be a war strategist right it, it, it was that educational and yeah. the truth is you know you'll see a lot of these poker players or these edge you know age of vampire strategy gaming chess players whatever they'll come in and they'll be actual beasts at you know trading or algorithmic or whatever it is right yeah. because these these things genuinely have transferable skills and so you know financializing something like age of empires clash of plans you know making it a lot more finance focused right you know constantly making sure that you're you know earning money for your economy stuff like that and, and it's real money is going to be a massive learning thing and i think people find that fun right who doesn't enjoy like the truth is traders enjoy what they do because it's fun right it's it's, it's a game <laughs> Trading at the end of the day is also a game, and yeah. and so you know, gamifying financial uh, financializing gaming not a bad thing, not for everyone. So you have to have so not every you know it's a completely different audience. 
you know, you shouldn't be aiming at children, obviously. That's a whole you know, different thing. But, yeah. you know, people that, you know, are happy to gamble, happy to do all of those things. And, you know, it, it's it's an industry in itself where people are going to be interested in DeFi, right? There you go. That's your proof of concept. Yeah. Um, there are obviously people who care more about, you know, this is your more traditional gamers. They care a lot more about, you know, lore, immersive experiences, you know, VR, AR, all of that stuff, you know, highly immersive experiences. They don't have to be VR, don't have to be AR, but, you know, Unreal Engine 5, you know, playing a game on your PS or your PC or whatever. Mm-hmm highly, highly immersive experiences, sure, you know, they can be a lot more fun-oriented, but mm-hmm. if you design the economy correctly, the long-term potentials, and, and I've said this multiple times before to my investors and other people, is that I genuinely, genuinely think there will be a game out there, you know, where, where you know, this will have one of the most, tra- uh, this will be one of the games that has the most traction and all of that stuff, that will grow to the size of a small country, right? I genuinely believe that. And the truth is, if you design your incentives, if you make it sustainable, if you capture value and bolster your own economy uh, um, and, and you keep a lot in your own economy over time you know you will have people you know having interdependence you know, even online great great example you know a thousand different careers you can do and people are stuck in that game forever world of warcraft another one right you know people create careers out of this there, there's actually a game um, i forgot what it's called it was essentially the first playtime game started in 2000 Right. Okay. Um, and it's still to this day survived. And, and a lot of people say, oh, it's not that fun. It's just, you know, a lot of finance. Truth is, people love this. People have made entire careers out of it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think financialization of gaming makes it more immersive, perhaps. Um, you're, you're more bought in, right, when you ask the service or, or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think the debate of play and um, it's a sticky one. You know, everyone has their own opinion. Sure, you can. You can meet someone in the middle, but the truth is different audiences, different sectors. You, you just build products specific to different types of people. And that's how it is, you know, different consumers. Now that makes sense. And I guess then if your opinion is different audiences, different opinions, I'm guessing you're going to say with entry <laughs> costs, a very similar thing that um, if the game is very strategy-based, like obviously Axie Infinity is not strategy-based, but... In my opinion, as a gamer, it's not it's not ideal gameplay. It's just yeah. it's not very fun. So at the end of the day, it is for people who want to not gamble as such, but when they buy the NFT, they're taking a calculated risk on their own part. So mm. I'm guessing your opinion is similar. Yeah, it, it's similar. Like you know, uh, it's it's all like because because it's simple as like there are different types of participants within these games. You know, now you've got the rise of YGG, Merit Circle, Snack Club, all of these big girls, right? Bare bones, what are they? They are literally, essentially institutions, right? Pooled capital institutions that come into a game, open game economy, suck yield out of it. It's, it's literally the equivalent of mercenary capital. And so this is a type of participant. And so if you optimize your game for play and fun and earn and all, all of that stuff, right? And you don't think about the financial considerations and all of that stuff, these guys will come in and they won't be sorry to take your, so, you know, suck out all the liquidity out of your ecosystem. They'll yeah. dump it, right? Like they'll care, they will, like you said, all they care about is the NFT. And so, again, that's why, like, uh, my opinion uh, on just tokenomics and game economics has always been like, you have to have a specific token completely optimized for a specific economy because there's going to be different participants. There's going to be your casual gamers, there's going to be your yield hungry guild participants, there's going to be everyone. And so, you have to find a balance in the middle where they a either they, they there's a high level of interdependency and, and so you know to progress you have to 
you know, rely on a farmer who, you know, and, and this is basic economics, right? Like if, you know, let's, let's think of a, a basic loop, right? A, a fighter uh, is dependent on a builder for a sword, right? And, and the builder is dependent on the farmer for the resources to build the sword. And the uh, farmer is dependent on the fighter to protect him, you know? And yeah. so all of a sudden you, to progress, they all need to depend on each other. And as they depend on each other, you know, over time, if this happens enough, there can be a positive sum environment, right? And everyone grows together versus, you know, you know, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it really depends if it's a, you know, zero sum game, for example, sure, yeah, you, you need, you know, Able Pool, for example, if, if Able Pool is a blockchain game, you know, you have to have money to play that game um, and progress. So yeah, totally depends, I think, game to game, audience to audience. You see, and a very, very quick one. I don't know if it's ever going to be answered. I'm not sure if anyone will find out the science for it, but how do you think, obviously you touched on user retention. You said if you've aped into a game at the very start when the ecosystem launches and you get maybe the governance tokens or, or you, you go into the DAO and you take some of that and you buy the DAO tokens so that you have some governance, but omitting all of that, um, how do you think volatility, especially of a game token, affects users? And how do you think, is that, does that affect retention? Do you think there's a way to um, solve that? In, in a very quick answer, I know it's very difficult to go through every single part of that. Yeah, absolutely. So retention, I mean, so I guess your, your, your question is too broad. Uh, very quickly, I would say it depends, of course, um, you know, most games don't optimize for success. So, you know, how does your economy work when, for example, think about it this way, right? How does the NFT markets work when Ethereum is so high? The price of Ethereum is so high. Completely different dynamic to when Ethereum is, you know, $1,000 versus $4,000. And so it, it really, really, really affects the underlying system and the underlying economy, right? Things that are built on Ethereum, gas fees, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so same thing will happen here, especially if you've created a token that's so core to your game economy, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a case where, okay, cool, you're successful, people want to play your game. And so your, the, the price of your token has shot up in value. So now, you know, people can participate, barriers to entry is too high. There are things I've sort of considered, you know, little things like UX, right? Um, UX is something that finally crypto people hate because they're cannot break it up. But, you know, something as, you know, pegging, like, so I've, I've discussed this uh, concept before with several people. It's, you know, people want to peg stable coins to the US dollar, stuff like that. But people haven't really considered and, and played with the concept of pegging assets to um, certain values. For example, right, um, imagine a chair that's crucial and essential to your game. Pegging that chair to two US dollars and, you know, having a chain link oracle that links and, and you know, it fluctuates the price of your token within that game, where you know if your, your if your token goes up in value, then you know you require less to to buy that chair, and the opposite around. And so you have to do a lot of UX things similar to this, you know, paying NFTs stuff like that, to ensure that you know there is long term a uh, adoption, and then the retention side as well. You know, the good thing is you know having a financial stake in something does cause retention, but of course you know there is the case of are you having fun? And fun doesn't mean beautiful, immersive graphics. It can definitely mean that. Assassin's Creed, whatever, all these games, super, yeah. you know, and this whole beer building. But at the same time, you know, just a fun gameplay loops and, and gameplay mechanics and stuff. You know, Pac-Man is a lot of fun, right? I'll play Pac-Man for hours or Tetris. You know, simple game. 
Um, and so, you know, that's retention is a whole kind of game design thing more than anything else. Um, but yeah. Yeah. For me, it was it was Snake on the Nokia on the Nokia brick. <laughs> yeah. I could oh. play Snake for a whole day. I'm being so honest. yeah, honestly, so long. But yeah, a, a hair pack one, simple design, usually <laughs> with addictive nature. Even like if you look at Candy Crush, Candy Crush is yeah. so massive because it's simple. It's simple design. Simple exactly. Design. People know what they're doing. They're moving around yeah. candies to break them down. Which when yeah. you that sounds a bit weird. But anyway. I hear your point about that. That's yeah. interesting. Nice. I guess um, we can move on. Like you were talking about stakes and equity and being really involved in a project. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, like I mentioned, you've worked in investment banking, you worked in hedge funds, you worked in VC, you worked in Amazon. So you worked within a really vast range of industries and also experiences. So what, do you see the exact state of crypto investment is like right now? Do you think it's going towards tokens? Do you think it's going towards equity? Do you think people are looking for short exits, uh, like a really short cliffs, like vesting schedules so that they can exit? Or do you see people more and more going towards long-term bets in the crypto space? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, So far, the trend has been, and, and you know, of course, there are always new trends that pop up, that and, and this is the beauty of crypto, which is there are so many financing vehicles. Um, uh, you know, the obvious one, everyone does soft agreements, you know, sale of future tokens. Um, basically, you know, people, investors, usually institutional, give you a bit, bit of money in exchange for a certain percentage of your token, right? Simple. That's a nice financing, financing vehicle. When the, the token launches, there is usually like a cliff period where no one can sell and then a vesting period where slowly, slowly the, the tokens get unlocked and, and investors and the team have the opportunity to sell. That's, that's been a true and tried, tried and tested method. You know, I think, uh, you know, pre-mines as the OGs called it, you know, same thing basically. Um, so yeah, you know, we have that in the industry, uh, investing in NFTs before they actually get sold. You know, people don't like to admit it, but it's a real thing, right? Whitelist, forget whitelist, even before the whitelist, right? guilds and, and you know institutional investors who focus and have the infrastructure to a accept nfts b utilize nfts and c drain value from these nfts do so right guilds are the best example they, they tend to have like a, a big percentage allocation in gaming projects or whatever projects they take these nfts pass them over to the guild participants and uh, a guild member sorry and and they go off and, and you know extract that value so that's another financing vehicle that's been somewhat popular. Some people like it, some people don't. Guilds really like it because um, it makes sense for them. They don't care about tokens as much. And yeah. then you have equity, which is, weirdly enough, it's new but old, right? <laughs> it's old because that was the, everyone in Silicon Valley uses equity. You know, if you go to a TradFi fund and you try to offer them tokens, they'll actually laugh in your face. <laughs> um, but equity is a weird thing. You know, people are like, Ugh, equity? crypto come on that's you know we hate financial systems and and and, and just any sort of structure but you know I, I personally think equity is becoming more valuable and it's becoming something that people want to invest in mm -hmm. at the end of the day you know you want to be able to you know first of all it helps because you get to control the project right as a vc uh, if, if your founders aren't doing a good job of getting a slow rug or a scam or whatever it is you yeah. get to run in and, and save it right uh fire everyone and, and reset the company um, and so that's great, you know, governance on, on, the, on, on the governance level. It's a, it's a very different type of governance, right, from, from the one 
we're, we're used to in crypto. Yeah. And also, you know, at the end of the day, tokens aren't this blanket thing that you can just slap on everything. You know, we've spoken about games that have a token that encompasses and is used as the currency of every single game. And the truth is, how are you supposed to like open economy systems are probably one of the most complex things in the world. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. And I could talk about tokenomics for hours, but I still, at the end of the day, don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the truth is, you have to be as precise and as um, customized to that specific con- as a specific economy as possible. And so when you when you put fifty uh, games under one blanket, it does not make any sense. And yeah. so the, the same thing to do would be to just go use token equity as the blanket, which doesn't compromise your tokens, and you know use that as a method. And so you know we at Material Ten are actually a fan of using all of them or just mainly tokens and equity because equity has value so yeah i think there's been a nice trend towards people using safe agreements you know sale of future equity um but token investments still happen nft sales pre-sales still happen and equity is on the rise of it uh, especially you know also the fact that when you hire people from traditional industries we, we hired everyone from the traditional industry having to explain tokens and how why and how they're valuable for hours is essentially giving them a masterclass in crypto right and so they understand equity okay what's equity you own part of the business oh wow i own part of the business very nice so everyone's happy right um, so yeah i think equity is on the rise no i can also echo that i mean um obviously bit panda not a vc firm but as an exchange you always conduct some investments um mm-hmm. And I've been seeing more and more deal flow. Obviously, we haven't done many, um, but the deal flow that has come through has actually been more equity focused recently yeah. as opposed to tokens, purely because, um, I mean, A, bear market. So, I mean, yeah. token races are in general not going to do as well as they usually would. Um, and two, for a lot of people, equity um, has, some, has some legal tie-ins as well, obviously. So that's important for the project and also the investors so that they have kind of a contracted agreement because with tokens like you said it can be a rug it can be um it can be a, a multitude of things that go wrong so yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess, yeah and yeah go for it no no i was just gonna say and, and the truth is safe agreements like you know we, we we tend to be quite careful on the legal side but i've seen other projects that have safe agreements where essentially all they're doing is saying that okay i made up this token name we're gonna you're gonna give me this much money for this token well then you know they can launch a fake token and you know their real token and have zero pre pre invested and so just legally it's not great to be you know especially if you haven't worked out the kinks yeah um, but yeah no i can i can echo that too i mean as a very like off like very quick safe uh, i mean safe for equity what 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 type of agreement do you prefer i just there's something in the middle actually which is called a safety agreement yeah. which is um and then that's very nice because um essentially it's it's it's, it's like a convertible note right yeah. so you the vc or the investor has the opportunity to um essentially see that okay tokens are not great so we'll convert it to equity and claim it in equity or yeah. equity isn't that valuable you know look they're, they're a single game studio the token's so much more valuable let's let's convert it to the token and, and you know we get our exit that way so I'm actually a fan of the middle one, safety, especially, you know, if you're doing your first, you know, 
uh, pre-seed uh, race. Um, you know, it gives you the flexibility to make decisions that are vital and, and, and the best ones for your consumers. Um, and it also, you know, keeps your investors happy at the same time. Um, so yeah, safety is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Cool. Um, I guess talking about equity and like the difference between Web3 and traditional, um, obviously, like we mentioned, you've come from various VC funds, various hedge funds, various private equity, various investment banking institutions. What do you think the biggest differences are and how do you think Web3 working environment compares to TradFi, I guess? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it depends. In, in my, my experience, people work the same, like the same long hours, same you know, hard work, which is okay, right? Like the reason I think for, for the crypto side is, you know, it's super, super interesting. People want to be around that. It's very interesting. Um, and TradFi, you know, it's, it's had a reputation of being just very long hours. Um, which it may take. Um, in terms of like main differences, I think one of the big ones is like <laughs> the amount of due diligence that happens in each one. TradFi, of course, has have entire legal team, entire consulting firms um, that they work with for due diligence. From my experience and from what I've seen happening in crypto, you know, for a while now, either you see, I've, I've genuinely seen deals that are closed, you know, half a million dollars, million dollars in 30 minutes, closed, invested, done, finished. And so whether it's people have too much money, whether it's, you know, there's a bit more trust and people, everyone knows each other, um, things move really, really quick in, in, in crypto. Um, there's also, I would say, you know, people are a bit more open, like TradFi guys from what I've seen and, and because I still interact with a lot of them, you know, most of them are very great guys, very smart people. A lot of them are, less, believe it or not, even on the VC side, right? You'd expect VCs to be the most risk uh, you know, have the biggest appetite for risk, but traditional VC guys, you know, you compare them to, to, to uh, crypto VC guys, it's like risk appetite is a whole new ball game, right? Yeah. And in crypto, people are willing to try out, you know, Olympus DAO, for example, is a completely new paradigm in in DeFi, really, right? Like completely new models, completely new tokenomics, yeah. new structures and systems. And so, you know, people people in crypto are, are, are very open to weird and wacky ideas. Um, and and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It gives us a lot of room for innovation. Traditional finance guys, I, I think, you know, they're open to weird and wacky ideas probably on, you know, the other spaces that they focus on because they are, you know, focused on a load. Um, ours is a bit more kind of focused on a specific one, you know, DeFi, blockchain, all that is essentially, it overlaps quite a bit. Um, but, you know, when they start to see crypto stuff, it's, you know, a whole different ballgame for them, I think. So, risk risk yeah. appetite really changes quite quite rapidly. big big yeah <laughs> yeah uh, I I um I run an angel like um yeah angel syndicate fund basically I'd call it as mm-hmm. best as I can um and w- we've seen some of the deal flow when we come through and we've gone to our LPs um and we've offered them the deal flow obviously and said hey we've got this allocation take it and they're just like yeah <laughs> they they literally have a read to the pitch deck don't even ask about team don't ask their dots yeah. don't ask about anything and they're just like if you think it's good and it's a crypto and it's a web three and it has buzzwords bash, bash, bash. <laughs> um yeah. which obviously happens quite a lot and um luckily there are obviously some people who do more vetting which i think is important also from yeah. feedback perspective i mean um although there is less vetting and vet, less dd um the more you have the more feedback you have on that project the more people are like actually 
the tokenomics don't make sense because they're giving out 10% to this person and that doesn't really, that's a red flag. So I think it's very important yeah. that, that DD. So yeah, I hear yeah. that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And even just from a capital allocation perspective, it's yeah. like, to tell you the truth, this is my thesis, which is a bit more, I guess you can call it extreme or brutal, which is like, you know, on, you know, projects that don't have teeth should die, right? Like genuinely they should die, right? Like, because, yeah. because, you know, capital is limited. There is no infinite amount of capital. And yeah. so you, you try to focus capital on the most uh, innovative, the strongest projects. And, you know, that is better for humanity, right? At the end of the day. And so, you know, this is why bear markets are great, bad projects die. Um, and, you know, bad projects doesn't necessarily mean bad people. It's more like your concept didn't work out. You know, there was no actual consumers. And so people shouldn't be shoveling money more, more and more into a black hole, right? Um, and, and, you know, from the get-go, people should, like, investors should be doing more due diligence. I think we're, we're happy that the investors we work with, you know, it's, it's actually a, a good signal for us when we're raising capital, which is, you know, when investors spend a lot of time, you know, investing and uh, vetting and, and talking to us. It's like it shows us that they actually care. They're not just throwing money around because yeah. a lot of people in this space have made a lot of money, you know, luckily, right? Um, things went up 100x, you know, 100k came out, right? Or, you know, is you know, if, if someone put 500k in, you know, they came out with like 50 million, which is a lot of money. Uh, and, and you know, who doesn't have five? A lot of people have 500. Um, and so yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the thesis, I guess. No, fair enough. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, definitely for sure. There's a lot of money in the space. Um, we've seen that with all the like VC funds <laughs> raising yeah. and everything else. I mean, uh, there's definitely money to to go around. I guess yeah. on that topic, um, and obviously I know we're running out of time, so I'll try and make it as quick as possible. What is your advice to or or, or as a, as a whole, Web three for getting GameFi, or even we could talk about GameFi. Do you suggest others uh, to go into Web3 as an industry going forward? Obviously, you've pivoted through lots of roles, lots of different industries. <laughs> and like, what is your advice to those people who do want to get into Web3 and GameFi? Yeah, I mean, my, my advice would be like, keep your Web2 job, right? At least to begin with. Um, I mean, you know, everyone, <laughs> I'm sure you'll hear lots of people going, oh, yes, please just jump in. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, which it is, but at the end of the day, it's not for everyone. Um, and so what, like, what I would say what, and what I did personally was when I was, you know, I've been working in, in you know, the traditional space for a lot longer. And um, when I was there, I still did try to get involved in, in different projects and just help out, you know, even for free, right? Why not? Um, you know, lend, lend your expertise in whatever you can. And, and in, in return, what you'll get is an understanding of, does this space captivate you? Do you think it's interesting? Do you enjoy it? Um, DAOs are amazing for this, right? Like you can just step in, you know, submit a very short application and, and boom, there you go. You're off to the races. You contribute as much as you can and you get paid for it. So that would be my first advice. Is try it out first. Don't just like quit everything. <laughs> you see a lot of that. Yeah, and you know, the, the Luna Terra thing was massive and, and it hurts a lot of people. Yeah. And I remember seeing, and, and you know, I don't wish that on anyone, but you know, you saw lots of messages and, and tweets on Twitter where people are like, oh, I quit my Web2 job. And look at that, the entire Terra Luna ecosystem is down. Um, and, and it's gone and, and I lost everything, right? And just know what you're going into, right? You have the opportunity to make 
billions or you have the opportunity to lose it. And that's the truth. Um, in terms of like long-term career trajectory, it's a hard one to answer. I think slowly, uh, like slowly, slowly, it's getting less stigmatized where, you know, you can go from, like right now, you, it's very easy to go from big tech to crypto, especially if you have base knowledge or, you know, traditional gaming uh, to crypto. But the question is, is it easy or hard to go from crypto to the other way around, right? And the truth is, like from what I've seen at least, no one goes back, right? Once you go crypto, you don't go back. Yeah. Um, and so I'd be curious to see <laughs> who, go, who gets to go back. Um, but from the conversations I've had, people do genuinely think that you have that you have those transferable skills. And just generally working in the startup is going to give you those nitty gritty skills. So yes. even if you do decide to take a risk, do take a risk, you know, why not? Um, and my thesis would be that you you will get to go back, right? This is a this is at the end of the day, it wasn't a lifetime opportunity. Just evaluate it a little bit faster. Um but yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I can I can speak from experience that like Abbot Panda. Uh, well, Bitpanda Pro, to be very exact, obviously we're quite a small team. We're still growing. We're only 50 at the moment. So like yeah. um, coming in as an intern, especially, I mean, it's been amazing to see like how broad of a responsibility you get, how much work um, there is in like the different types of work and um, how much you learn in such a fast pace. Because I mean, like, Terra Luna, no one, I mean, obviously some people did expect it and they had poor design, but when you're within a market sentiment, which is like, wow, it's going up, up, there's yeah. no down, the down doesn't happen in crypto. People are saying these things. Um, your mind obviously goes to, okay, cool. I mean, if it's going up, I'm just going to stay there and be happy. Um, yeah. And obviously that is not always the case. So um I think it's really important. There are a lot of transferable skills I've I've learned, and those have been great. And even I think something that I guess you would what you were mentioning, but no one goes back. People who also come in are obviously really talented, like people like yourself who have left traditional finance backgrounds, who are extremely talented, extremely knowledgeable, um, who have seen lots of different sectors, used lots of different technologies. Um, you're obviously bringing loads of transferable skills into the crypto market um, from which when you also join, you can learn from. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely echo the sentiment that it's, it's really important to, um, I think, understand what you're getting into first, yeah. um, vet, vet where you want to go, what role you want to do, and then from there, take the leap. Yeah. Take the leap. I exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But nice, it, I guess. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess um, last question I, I would have to you. Um, well, before I'd like to say thank you for your time, because you're extremely busy and <laughs> a lot of commitments. I appreciate you taking such a long time out of your calendar for me. Um, yeah, and last question I'd have is um, what's your main end goal with? crypto web3 material 10 whatever it may be what's your like life aspiration if you could put one out there yeah i mean I, so my my every single day is just blockchain gaming you know at, at this point i'm just living and breathing it um my and it's gonna be very like focused i guess on that but you know let's let's be honest people in gaming although on the outside you know if you're not a proper gamer you don't realize that 
there's a lot of complaints and problems and issues that exist within the blockchain uh, within the just traditional gaming space and you know i think there is a lot of scope to actually solve those issues you know microtransactions got so bad to a point where you know children are suffering right genuinely um and and, and at the end of the day gaming isn't one of those things where you know oh you're not solving climate crisis or you're not solving you know world hunger or something like that but at the end of the day you know the entertainment industry puts a smile on people's faces and i think that is important yeah. um and so I, I think if we can solve some of those problems for example in my opinion so far my thesis is that microtransactions shouldn't really exist in blockchain gaming because there is no incentive to right if you really think about it stuff like you know revenue to the game studio shouldn't necessarily exist in an open economy system because that doesn't really make sense you, you're more as a game studio you're also the government you know providing the utility and, and services for the, the economy right and and so there is no need for microtransactions and so all the revenue should go back to uh, making the economy more robust and so little things like that where i think open economy system gaming can can solve these things but also you know showing people that blockchain gaming is more than a currency and it's more than just an nfc right people yeah. don't realize this but there are so many amazing things you can do with just like nfts and stuff like that um, and zk rollups and all that fun stuff but yeah i think yeah that's kind of what we want to do is show people that there's more support in gaming than just currencies and, and uh, but yeah nice well thanks so much for your time Mike. it's been great chatting obviously check out links in the uh, description everywhere else um you can find material 10's twitter my thumbs uh contact details and yeah um <laughs> thanks for a great episode and i hope everyone else enjoyed and yeah thanks for your time Mike. really appreciate it sure thank you thank you for, thank you for having me Thanks for listening to Cryption XYZ and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cryption XYZ. I look forward to welcoming you back to the chain. Stay tuned for much, much more. Thank you.